countdown to the last comic shop in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Dune, a desert planet, also known as Arrakis. Oh, it I, is, like, I don't like huh? sand. It's coarse and rough and irritating, and it gets everywhere. I think you're in the wrong movie. <laughs> hey, hey, it's now time for more of The Last Comic Shop. And as you guessed, we're going to be talking about Dune or Attack of the Clones. I don't know. Pick, take your pick. But I'm those with the most, Andy Larson, and welcome back to another week as I'm joined by Jay Scott, Chad Smith, and the wonderful Mikey Wood. And we are reviewing a particularly interesting comic book. And it's very timely given that Dune, the movie, well, the new movie. For those folks that like the David Lynch movie, it still exists. But there, there's a new movie, and it's coming out on HBO Max this week. So in preparation for all the Dune goodness, we are covering Dune House of Atreides, the first eight issues from Boom Studios. Here we get to the prequel that won the House of Atreides. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, it made me start thinking, folks, about the fact this Dune House of Trades is a licensed comic book tie-in at its heart. Whether you think it's highfalutin or whatever, it's the same thing as My Little Pony or Transformers or, I don't know, any of the number of interesting comic books we've gotten over the years because some other organization had a toy or a TV show or a movie or something and said, we should make a comic book too. And so went to one of these comic book companies and DC and Marvel and all the rest of the indies were like, sure, give us your money and we'll put out a book for you. And so it made me start thinking about that these licensed comic books are kind of both a curse and a blessing for the comic book industry. They're a blessing in the fact that they bring fans to the comic book tent that would not be normally reading comic books Uh, Because they're interested in those other materials. And they're like, oh, I'll pick up this comic book because it's got my favorite characters in it. I have a buddy that right now, like within the last six months, has been like, hey, Chad, do do you know anything about Apex Legends or uh, The Witcher? But he's a big video game guy. And there are Apex Legends and Witcher comic books. And so that is what got him into the comic shop. Yeah. But at the same time, they're also somewhat of a little bit of a curse. Because although there are some very good licensed tie-ins out there, which we'll talk about on today's program, there's also a bunch of junk. (laughs) I will be very honest. There's a lot of stuff that was put out there just to make a quick dollar. Uh, As a result, not the best talent, not the best art, not the best anything got put on some of these titles. So on today's program, we are going to talk about some of our favorite licensed tie-ins and some of our least favorite licensed tie-ins. And so we're going to go ahead and start off with our guest, Mikey Wood. So Mikey, what is one of the best licensed tie-ins and one of your favorites? It's funny because it it kind of, uh, it's my recommendation too, but I, I really like the Eric Burnham, Eric Sean Howe, or however you pronounce his name, Shonig, Shunig, Ghostbusters series. It's super good. The artwork's great. The story's great. All the characters sound um, like they should. It's from IDW, and it's been going on forever. It, th- that's the thing with licensed comic. From if they're based on a movie or a TV show, 
if the characters sound like the characters sound, then it then it's better for me. Now, as far as one of my least favorites, there was a Robotech comic that DC did like two issues of. It predated Robotech, even though it was called Robotech. It was based on a, a, a line of models by Ravel. <laughs> but at the time, I thought it was Robotech, the TV show, which was eventually they did they did an adaptation from from Comico, which is or Comico, I guess, uh, which is really good. But but this this Robotech is not Robotech. Like there's no Rick Hunter or anything. It's just bizarre. I think had I not known what Robotech was, I would have been okay with it. But I was already like knee deep in watching the cartoon when I was a little kid. So I went to a a comic shop and I found these comics. I got all excited, and uh, it wasn't it. So. Yeah. You burnt them in your driveway. Yeah, no, I still have them somewhere. somewhere. <laughs> okay. I love. I should. I should. I should say I love licensed comics. Like I have the Man from Atlantis comics, Dariors, and Power Lords. I just love that. I don't know why. All right, Chad. Some licensed comic books. You're both a fan of, and then maybe not so much your cup of tea. I'm gonna double up both of these because, um, because I wanna, but. Uh, <laughs> The, the two best licensed comic book examples I can think of, one was uh, G.I. Joe Cobra, which was a miniseries starring Chuckles, where, uh, spoiler alert, he ends up shooting Cobra Commander in the face. <laughs> uh, it's pretty awesome. Or maybe that was the continuation. I don't know. But it was a really great, like, badass Chuckles story, which you, you don't expect that out of G.I. Joe. And then my other favorite really well-done licensed property was there was this 25-issue Lone Ranger series that I'm sure I've talked about on the show before with Brett Matthews and... Not John Cassidy. (laughs) Oh, no, he did covers. He did the covers. And I think that's why I love that series, too. But, like, it's such a tease because you get the John Cassidy covers and you're like, why isn't the interior art like this? I feel cheated in some way. It's like the Brian Boland covers. You're like, what is this? I paid for Brian Boland. And and the sad part is I Googled it. They give John Cassidy like second billing under Brett Matthews. Uh, the, the artist is uh, Sergio Corella. And for me, he was one of those artists where when you look at it at first, you're like, oh, it's okay. But as you get throughout the series, you're like, this is the perfect artist for this book. And boy, did they encapsulate all the cool stuff that you could do with the Lone Ranger and Tonto. Like, they made you respect Tonto. Uh, they made the Lone Ranger more than just a, a Boy Scout. It's it's just a really great series with tons of, of pathos, and I highly recommend it. But then on the flip side, uh, some of the worst licensed books would be the Lone Ranger books that followed <laughs> that 25-issue run. Because I kept uh, buying those, kind of chasing the dragon, and they never lived up to the hype. And then the other one that I Mikey made me think of is he was talking about series that uh, didn't make it that far and didn't really capture the spirit of what they were talking about was Malibu Street Fighter 2 comics that came out in the 90s. You remember this one? Yeah, they were they were they were rough, weren't they? <laughs> the end of issue 1 they decapitate Ken. And then by issue 3 they said we've been canceled. This is our last issue. They don't like what we've been doing with the license. It was kind of awesome, but also really terrible. <laughs> yeah, I was wondering how long, how far they would go with that series, and and then then it all abruptly was canceled. And you're like, all right, yeah, yeah, that's 
That makes sense. J.A., your favorite licensed comic books versus your least favorites. So my least favorite, the old Star Trek licensed comics. I could never find a good story, especially the Deep Space Nine ones. They just seemed to just be bad. So when it came to licensed properties with Star Trek, I always just said, okay, I'll read a novel versus the comic. The novels tended to be where the better use of that property were. That being said, if there's a good run, please point it in my direction. I'd love to read some good Star Trek comic. On the flip side, looking at a really well-done licensed property, I think, bar none, you've got to go Alien versus Predator. It took two licensed properties and combined them. It just was mind-blowing. People were like, oh my god, why didn't we ever think of this? We need a movie. Unfortunately, the movies were crap. But the comic books stand up. They actually do. And it, and it's to your point, you know, before Alien versus Predator, I mean, you're, you're right. Would you have thought about throwing any of these characters from different movie franchises that are kind of like not even related, like together and just being like, meh, you know, and, and, and everybody still freaks out about what Predator 2, which is not even the greatest of movies. But you watch that movie just so that you can see the Predator's little hidey hole underneath where he's got the alien skull. And you're like, yeah. That's a Xenomorph. Love this. The Aliens versus Predator versus Terminator series Dark Horse did was awesome. There was, and then they they started playing with all those properties. There was a RoboCop versus Predator one, I Mm -hmm. think, or RoboCop versus Terminator. RoboCop versus Terminator was Frank Miller. That was great too. And Walt Simonson. That's right. I wrote a a RoboCop on the Planet of the Apes (laughs) miniseries, and it's awesome. And Boom Studios or whoever owns the licenses, if you're listening, you know, hit me up. Dead or alive, you're taking your stinking paws off me. I'd be interested in reading it for sure. As I, I, you know, and to kind of finish out, I mean, when it comes to licensed properties, I think I'm in the same camp as Mikey Wood that there are so many good ones. Like, and I'm just thinking about the big ones, like that I grew up with, like Rom the Space Knight, Micronauts. That is awesome. Larry Hama's GI Joe from the '80s, awesome. Uh, even the the original He-Man, uh, Masters of the Universe comics that DC put out, whether it's you know pre-Crisis Superman punching uh, He-Man in the face with from Eternia with death or the three-issue limited series. And so, like, I'm a huge fan of all of that. But there are times, too, where, like, again, back to Masters of the Universe, was DC came out with a series uh, several years ago, uh, and I think they were trying to shake off all of the kiddie-friendly, you know, cartoon-esque filmation influence. And so, basically, what they did was they just tried to put Tila's ass out there as much as you could see it. You're like, here it is! All right, but it doesn't need to be Game of Thrones. It's He-Man. Like, it's still for kids. I, I, I wasn't a fan. And it wasn't until Dan Abnitz took over and kind of started doing this whole Eternity War and stuff like that that it actually became more of a storyline that I could follow. But for the first, like, five or six issues, I was just like, I don't know. You're just making She-Ra just be mean for no good reason. And, and nobody cares. It's He-Man. Just have P-Man punch Skeletor a couple times. I'm on board with that. IDW, like, they they did a really great crossover called Revolution, which is, like, all of the Hasbro, it's, like, Mask and G.I. Joe and Transformers and Rom and and all of these Hasbro properties all crossing over with each other um, and Micronauts, and it it was a lot of fun. And that resulted in a San Diego Comic-Con exclusive set of G.I. Joe and Action Man and the Micronauts Mm. and And Rom. Rom. 
Yeah. Yeah. And a dire wraith that looked like it was Doc from G.I. Joe. It was, it was the best. <laughs> well, you know what else is good? It might be Dune House of Trades. We don't know because we haven't reviewed it yet, but it's coming up right after these messages. So stay tuned for more of The Last Comic Shop. We'll be talking about this licensed property for sure on this show. Hi, I'm John Wilson. And I'm Michael Kaiser. And we're the hosts of the podcast, Make Ours Marvel. Yeah, can you believe we live in a world where everyone's old Aunt Petunia knows who Iron Man is? It's crazy, right? So, to celebrate, we're on our mission to explore the roots of the Marvel Universe. You know you've thought about it. Some of you may have even done it, and now we're going to do it too. We're diving back into the long boxes of Marvel's history and podcasting our way through the whole universe. All of it. Every superhero issue. And, if I can convince Mike, we'll even do Sergeant Fury. And it's not going to be one issue per episode. That'd take forever. <laughs> it's still going to take forever. But no, we're going to talk about as many comics as we can in an hour. Yep, an hour and, you know, maybe a little change. Every week, Marvel Comics. So it'd be super cool if you came along for the ride. Look for us every Friday at MakeOursMarvel.com. That's MakeOursMarvel.com. Or on iTunes and all the other usual podcasty places. And if you want to read along with us and send us your thoughts, we might even read emails. So until Avengers Infinity War gets a spin-off Warlock in the Infinity Watch TV show, make ours Marvel. All right, we're back with more of The Last Comic Shop, and it is now time for our Read Pile Review. Yes, it is time to talk about a comic book in order to get you excited about a movie. And it's a good one to get you excited about a movie because this is all prequel stuff. So, like, if you wanted, like, the Phantom Menace version of Dune, you've come to the right place. Because that's what we're going to give you. Jar Jar Binks and all, I guess. He would die on Dune. There's no water there. He's completely <laughs> aquatic. He he would be like, Misa Nimna, bad price. <laughs> He's a Sith Lord. He can handle anything. Oh, that's true. Chad does think he's a Sith Lord secretly. Manipulating everything. That's right. Manipulating our emotions. Bad, bad ways. Anyways, we're not here to talk about that licensed property. We're talking here about talk about Dune and House of Trades. So we're reviewing the first eight issues. J.A. Scott, who did Dune House of Trades? Okay, so Dune House of Trades is really a comic book adaptation of the Brian Herbert and Kevin J. Anderson novel, which was one of the three prelude to Dune books they put out in the late 90s. Uh, along with House Carino and House Harkonnen. Of the three prelude books, this is the one that really just goes directly into Dune afterwards. Most of the art was done by Dev Pramanik, with <laughs> colors by Alex Guimaraes, and lettering by Ed Dukeshire. Okay. It is a comic book adaptation of a novel, uh, which is supposed to be, again, a prequel to the novels that Brian Herbert's father wrote, Frank Herbert, which is, again, he's the guy that came up with this whole Dune. I think, how many how many books did Frank Herbert write? Like, is it is six? Did he write six and all? Seven. Six, I think. What's six, and then the seventh was in final draft when he passed. Okay. And they put it out with Brian Herbert's editing. 
because I read one and a half. I read I read Dune, which I feel like everybody should. If you're a fan of good literature, at some point you should read Dune. That's a great one. I think I read the I read what a Dune Messiah, and, 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 and a lot of people fall off the rails halfway through Dune Messiah because in Dune Messiah, the protagonist from Dune turns out to be this incredible jackass, and he's the bad guy. And people yeah. are like, no, no, I don't like this. What are you doing? Ah. My hard-hitting analysis, Frank Herbert's a fun name to say. <laughs> Frank Herbert, Frank Herbert, Frank Herbert. <laughs> and it's only going to go downhill from here, folks. Okay, so yeah, absolutely. Because, again, with, with a licensed material, you it either hits your niche or it goes over your head, as we mentioned before. And we're going to get the 10 cent synopsis from our good friend Mikey Woods. So if, if did this go over your head, Mikey? Or No, it didn't really. But well, you kind of you kind of said what my 10 cent synopsis was going to be. It is Dune Episode 1, The Harkonnen Menace. That's what this is. This is like Dune Babies. So it's, it's all of that. <laughs> it's, it, it is the story of the beginnings of... All of the main characters in the first Dune. Well, I should say not all, all the, the main characters' parents. All of the main characters' parents. Yeah, all of the all of the the, the big players. So it's it's the beginnings of the the Harkonnen Atreides um, conflict. Um, it's the beginnings of Duncan Idaho and how he gets involved in things. So it's it's all of that. It's all of the the, the start of. Things. I'm still getting behind the the Dune babies. Dune babies will take your spice from worms. Right, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, you get to see all of that. All of this, basically, all of the stuff they kind of talk about in the Dune book. You get to see. You learn a little bit about Arrakis. You learn a little bit about the Fremen. Um, and you know, not to interrupt Mikey, but like it is seriously, it's sometimes a, a, also a curse and a blessing to get prequels. Let's so, uh, be very clear on that. Like sometimes, you know, when you have something like Doom, you find out like, oh, that's where the bull came from that's hanging in the middle of, you know, in the House of Trades or whatever. And like, oh, do, do you really need to know that stuff? Like, does yeah. it t- does it does it add to the story? Does it take away from the story? Is it just there? Yeah, it's like when people complained about how Han Solo got his blaster in Solo. They're like, did they need to show that? No. Is it fun that they did? Yeah. Like, I, I always say it's like it's like ice cream. You eat this really good ice cream and it's tasty. And someone's like, you want a little more ice cream? Never complain about more ice cream. Never complain about another piece <laughs> of pie. Never complain about more sex. Never complain about it. Just yeah. if it's given to you, accept it and enjoy it. Never be like, do we need this? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe you do. But I, I, I will say, I think it works because Dune exists. It works as a prequel because yes. you know some of the characters in Dune. So if you haven't read Dune, you can read this and you'll understand it. But I don't think you get some of the deeper meanings because you don't care. Oh, that's the baby's name is Jessica. Woo. Okay. You don't realize how important she is. And it, it suffers from the same thing that the Star Wars prequel, well, other than the Star Wars prequel suffered from a lot of stuff. But but, but, but the um, the main thing for me is that it took this this gigantic galaxy and it shrunk it down to a handful of people who, like, went to high school together. You know, there's no reason that Anakin built C-3PO. So the, 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 the House of Trades does kind of the same thing with the Dune characters. Everybody is connected somehow. You know, everything's sort of like a sly wink. But if you're not familiar with the books, it's just going to confuse you. It's just going to be like um, 
why does any of this matter? Who are these people? So, so I think I'm going to start off today's program by asking a question, because this is what I was thinking as I was reading it. Somebody that read Dune and now read this comic book. And and I was I'm excited about the Dune movie that's coming out. I'm going to be watching it. But really, I had to ask myself this objective question. Does this book make me want to read more Dune? It Does it get me more invested in the greater Dune universe? Or is this just fan wank? Because some fan wanted to be wanked. So I'm going to start off with the person that knows the least about Dune, Chad Smith. Chad, did this get you excited about Dune? Or did you care less? So yeah, I'll preface this. I've never watched the Dune movie. And my my biggest exposure to Dune was that Jodorowsky's Dune. Which is a documentary about a movie that was never made. Which I much rather would have visited again than read this. And... (laughs) We'll have crystal giraffes. And this one person will get somebody impregnated by staring at a glass of orange juice. And you haven't read the novel. I have not. Yeah, it's one of those things where I I kept trying to come into this to an open mind. And I was thinking uh, from the show perspective, we've made J.A. read a ton of stuff that he has no prior background in, doesn't really give three shakes of any sort of sticks about. And he has done that with a plum and just brings it every week. And I was like, all right, I owe it to J.A. because I know he's a big Dune guy to give this a chance. And at the end of the day, I don't know if it was good or not. Coming from the perspective of someone that is not versed in the Dune universe, it did not hook Mm. You know, from that perspective, it does a very poor job, you know, bringing people into the Duneverse, as I'm going to call it. But I wouldn't say that they're poor comic books. Like, it, it depends on your purpose. It depends on your reasoning. You know, if you're a hardcore uh, Dunophile, that there might be some really cool stuff in here. But for me, the cool stuff was it was few and far between, and I didn't have a basis to care about a lot of the characters. Uh, just not for me. J.A. I mean, this is your pick for this week. It had its issues, I think. Some of the art was fantastic, especially you know those full page space scenes where you see the highliners and the planet i mean that's what i think was missing some of it in the visual elements of the original dune movie and what i'm so looking forward to in the dennis villeneuve movie is just the visual aspect of this universe because that's what's so great about frank herbert's writing i think the problem with this is that it's very dense for a comic book and the reason is because they they adapted it from this very dense novel and one of the critiques of the novel had been that Dune, the original, was a fantastic science fiction book written by a fiction author. And Dune, House of Atreides, was an okay science fiction book written by a science fiction writer. And that's what I think you kind of get here. And what does that mean? That means that you can read Dune and have no interest in science fiction and it makes sense to you and you understand it and it's written in a way that anyone can read. But this, you have to have some of that foreknowledge. You have to understand certain science fiction tropes and Dune tropes to, I think, appreciate it. And if you don't, it's not as good. You know, you, you have to chalk that up to... The scripting of the comic book, how they adapted this very thick novel that is all about interplay. I think Mikey Woods 
comment that it's all a bunch of people that went to high school together and sat at the same table and then decided, no, no, this is not your table. You have to go over there. This is the cool kids table. So basically they went from junior high to high school and they went into their different cliques. So yeah, did it make me interested? Yes. Do I want to finish this story to find out what happens? I think it's a 12 issue run. So we're missing the last four issues. Yeah, I want to find out what happened. Has it got me excited to watch the Dune movie? Most definitely, but I was already excited. But I, I will acknowledge Chad's issues with it because I do think it has some structural problems in how they composed the story, and it's very dense. All right, Mikey. Basically, everything that he just said is, is pretty accurate. That, that's the one thing I did notice about the comic is that the artwork is very sort of schizoid. And it does say in there that he had inking assists by somebody else. So I think you could actually see when it was being inked by one person and when it's being inked by another person. I think it's pretty clear in the artwork. The covers are gorgeous. Yeah. Um, and, and there are often moments where the artwork is gorgeous, too. And then it slips into this kind of character seem a little bit off. You know, the inking gets scratchier. Sometimes it's super smooth. So I don't know. It's Those are the things I noticed. Does it make me more interested in the I, I mean, the Dune story and, and universe thing is interesting to begin with. And this kind of, if you look at the different story, like the, the Leto Atreides story and the Kind story, they're they're just sort of like the Paul Atreides story split in half, you know, like uh, somebody coming, uh, learning about Dune and somebody learning about the Fremen and somebody. So it's kind of things that we're sort of familiar with from reading the novel. It's almost like there's nothing in there that, that was a revelation to me. I, I said earlier that it's like this book that I buy every month and I do buy it every month, but I'm not sure that I actually like it. I think I kind of like it, but if I were an outsider coming into this, I think it would just confuse the hell out of me. Yeah. You know? And I'm, I'm going to say that too. I mean, I was going to save it for my rating at the end of the show, but I'll, I'll say this. I, I think that this book, unlike a lot of licensed materials out there, unfortunately Dune is primarily known for, for two things. The book and then the David Lynch movie. Like, that's that's it. Like, there's going to be this other thing, and maybe that will make everybody know about Dune. And every, but for right now, that's all you know. And so, like, you don't have, like, the impact of, like, say, Star Wars or Thundercats or whatever been on, on television. Like, this isn't even, you know, Planet of the Apes, a really famous movie, and people have probably seen that a thousand times. So you could write Planet of the Apes book. So you, you're already saying, like, okay, this is a niche of a niche. So this is a book... And this is also an adaptation of a book. So it's, again, it's even even more niche So I think this is a very, 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 very small window of people that right now would appreciate this. It, it, again, it'll change, I, I hope, after this week. And I hope that, like, people three weeks from now are coming back and listening to this show because we're talking about House of Trades and how they're picking it up now because they want to have all this backstory for this awesome Doom movie they just watched. But for right now, this moment... Very, very niche The only thing that I, I feel like most people know about is the sandworm, and it shows up for like maybe six or seven panels. <laughs> We're just waiting for the sandworm to eat people. You're like, just lay down in the sand. Don't, don't make any sounds. I was actually disappointed in the sandworms. You know, my feeling is the sandworm is, is the dread, right? It's the unspoken dread, and it's coming, and it's big, and it's overpowering, and it's nature-destroying anything that man can build. And when you see it for the first time in the movie, and I think we see it at the end of the Dune trailer, Villeneuve's Dune trailer, and it, that's how it should look. Massive and incomprehensible to 
the human mind. And then when you see it on in a panel, not even a full page spread, but a panel in the comic, I was like, ugh, that's such a letdown. That's just right. kind of, you've lost the majesty of it. I'm, I'm so glad you mentioned that because Boom Studios, they announced the Dune comic book in 2012 on Free Comic Book Day. It was called Dune Origins and the piece of artwork that they used, you know, somebody somebody wearing a still suit. If you haven't, if you're not familiar in the desert of Arrakis to survive, you need to wear something that's called a still suit that makes it so that you drink your own pee. Anyway, um, <laughs> there's, <laughs> and it's a guy in a still suit standing in front of a very large, very intimidating looking uh, sandworm, which is actually still smaller than it should look. And it was a cool piece of artwork and I got excited about it, and nothing ever happened. Uh, it never came out. It never did. And and now this came out. So I, so I have to wonder if it's the same thing, if it was the same project and it just took forever to get off the ground or whatever. But that that piece of artwork is was super cool. But you're right. It's the sandworm's got to just be this. You have to be dwarfed. It, it has to baffle your eyes. It has to be like, I cannot believe the size of this thing. Instead of it looking just kind of like the thing in Beetlejuice. Well, I, I was just going to add to earlier, Mike, you was mentioning about how they're just showing a lot of the things from the novel. Um, I thought there was a lot of telling in this, and it was very awkward. Like to go back to Jay's point about this was a sci-fi writer writing a story, you know, it was very clunky at points. And I was thinking, oh, it's because of the transition from novel form to comic form. But uh, I really don't think they took advantage of being a comic book, and that's something that the the best translations. You know, they're going to pull out those elements that work best for the particular medium medium that they're in. And I, I didn't see that happening here. Well, I mean, and you bring up a good point, Chad, because uh, we've even done other comic book adaptations of famous sci-fi novels on this particular program. I mean, you take this book, compare it to the adaptation of Slaughterhouse-Five that we did, which does a lot with the art. Taking some of Kurt Vonnegut's prose and, and not having it word for word out there, but using the visual medium to actually tell the story or at least parts of the story that are important. Like, again, the bombing of Dresden, where just like they, they talk about, oh, it looks like the surface of the moon. You got to see that. You got yeah. to see that. To Jay's point, you don't get to see how massive these sandworms are. They're in a panel or four. You're right. Everybody's just talking. Like they're just talking. Benny Jesserit show up. Oh, they're just talking. Oh, you gotta ha- you gotta fill me with babies. All right, you're just talking. This is supposed to be exciting, right? The Bene Gesserit sister. I always imagine that the Bene Gesserit sisters have to be like super creepy, and that's one of the things that I think the um, David Lynch movie got kind of right. I, I like they're they're kind of weird and scary, and, and I didn't get that vibe in the comic. I didn't get this. Uh, you, you know, they're these weird witch nuns, and they're they're like bizarre, and they're trying to genetically engineer their messiah. Basically, is what they're is what they're doing. Yeah, and I think David Lynch movie got it to a bit, but I think. The way they the book was very much about religion. You know, mm-hmm. there's all this element of religion in the book that gets, I think, washed over or tapped down by studio execs when they're making these movies for mass consumption because, like, oh, let's tread lightly on this. This is a little bit too. We 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 don't want to offend, you know, certain people that might want. And I think when they do that, you lose some of the bite of what Frank Herbert was trying to say with Dune. Yeah, plus, yeah. that was weird, that weird witch done. It's like, yeah, we're going to do it, and I'm not going to like it, and you're not going to like it, but we're still going to do it. Ready. <laughs> like, but that was the whole goal. Like, why the... 
I just, I don't get it. Like, he still did it. Yeah, yeah he still yeah, did he it. Yeah, he did. He's just like, I'm going to do it, but on well, my term. I, I imagine the dialogue is all directly from the book and things like that. But but it just seems like Brian Herbert doesn't exactly have the sort of, what am I trying to say? He, do, he doesn't, he can't write like his father. He doesn't, he doesn't have like the, the new the, one. There you go. See, Chad, that's awesome. The nuance. <laughs> this is more of a story about like who who people knew and where people came from and and all the awesome like let's make artificial spice and let's make show all the technological marvels of the Dune universe and whatever. But you don't even see some of the coolest stuff. Like in these first eight issues, you don't even see like the, the what the the navigators. Yeah, and they talk about the ju- how how it makes a jump, and they just kind of draw it as like, oh, the ship is not in the panel anymore. You know, <laughs> like it's just there's Th- that just that would have been a, a great chance to use comics to to visualize something and and have fun with it. You're folding space in on itself. You could do all this geometric stuff and have yeah. the thing. Yeah, but no. Well, I think we've talked enough about this on our initial thoughts. I think it's time to get to our ratings. So make sure that you tune in after these commercial breaks for that section of The Last Comic Shop, as well as our recommendations. Other licensed comic books that you should check out. We still haven't finished talking about that. Stay tuned. Looking for a podcast all about nerddom? Want a podcast with an emphasis on representation? The Nerd Alternative is the podcast for you. Join me, Ram. Me, Hassan. And me, Levi. Three black British nerds tackling the pop culture we love and sharing why we love them. The Nerd Alternative, a sweet melting pot of all things nerdy. Have you ever been reading through a sack of comics and thought, maybe I should see what the Sarkham Asylum game is all about? Or been playing Marvel vs. Capcom and felt like you were at a real disadvantage since you didn't know who half the characters were? Well, Play Comics is the show for you. I'm Chris, and each episode we take a look at video games based on comic properties and how well they stick to that source material. So whether you know the comics and want to know how all these games work, or you know the games and want to find out where all this craziness came from, go check out Play Comics at playcomics.com or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Alright, we're back with more of The Last Comic Shop, and it is now time for our rating, where we all collectively ride the worm! To another <laughs> rating. And of course, Jay Scott gives us a great one out of four scale every week to rate these comic books. And so Dune House Atreides is getting a number. A number of what, J.A.? Like the sands through an hourglass. I was going to say that, but no. This one's pretty self-explanatory. We'll just go with the Shy Halud. Or uh, for those of you who haven't read five different Dune novels and are just picking this comic book up for the first time, we're going to go Sandworms. <laughs> and do read God Emperor June because it's absolutely bonkers. Like that book is nuts. All right. Well, Mikey, since you just chirped up, what's your rating? How many sandworms are you riding this week? I think it's like a two and a half. You would think that the idea of publishing a comic is to get as many people to read it as you can. So if you go in there, if you're like, you know what, I've never read a Dune thing. Maybe I'll read this first issue in the cover. Super cool by Jay Lee. It's gorgeous. Yeah. Um, mm. And then you get into it. By the end of that first issue, you're like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> it's interesting enough. I don't think it's essential. And that's a shame because, like I keep saying, the covers are really pretty. Like, it's really pretty. All right. We're on to Chad, our non-Dunafite here. And uh, what is he rating this book? Yeah, so I'm actually really glad about this because we on this show have read a lot of books that I've liked. So I feel like my grades are pretty inflated. 
And so this will help to even it out a little bit. <laughs> Honestly, if you're a Dune fan, I could see this having a, a lot of appeal. But for me, it just didn't do it for me. So I'm going to give it 1.5 worms. Ah. All right, J.A., it was your pick. How many worms are you riding? Yeah, I really wanted to like it. I want to finish the series. It's interesting enough. I can see why people who like Dune and, and are you know, enmeshed in the Dune universe would get into it. At the same time, I think it had some real structural issues. I don't think they translated the novel uh, especially well. It was very wordy. It was very dense. I'm disappointed. I, I feel like it's a missed chance. They could have done a lot more with it. I'm going to give it two worms. All right. You know, as I as I commented before, is this a book that brings you more into the Dune universe as a as a reader or just somebody that just read one book? Uh, or is this just fan wank for the sake of some fans that wanted to be wank? It's the latter. This is this is fan wank. Sometimes prequels can add a lot to a particular story uh, or add, you know, some chocolate syrup on top of your ice cream to use uh, Mikey Woods analogy. I don't think this does. I mean, there's a couple of moments where I was like, Ooh, that's neat. You know, I got to see how baby Jessica came into being and, and young uh, Duke Leto is an interesting character. So every single time he's part of the book, I found myself caring a little bit more than i would normal but i didn't care about anything that was going on with the emperor i didn't care about anything that was going on really with the harkonnens which was sad because they're like really uh you know the main bad guys of the story but i just felt like they were just cliche villains to be honest like you didn't get any sort of the the menace other than them hunting uh, duncan idaho which i don't know he yeah, escaped I Way too easily. So. I want to say that that was the missed opportunity. Don't make the Harkonnens bad. Make them like somehow things happen, history happened to put them into that position. I mean, the Harkonnens are like the Nazis of Dune, right? Let's not yeah. make them the Nazis of Dune. Make them something that's a little bit more grayer and it becomes much more interesting. And again, but that's cliche. That's that's easy. That's taking the easy way out, which I think a lot of this book does. Like it just takes the easy ways, you know. And 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 I don't know if that's that's rewarding for anybody that either likes Dune or somebody that doesn't care about Dune. The best thing about this series is the covers. <laughs> that's what you come away with. I'm sorry, that's not a good series. So this is like a one. This is a one. I'm even going lower than Chad, and I like Dune. This is a failure. Like, this doesn't do anything. This doesn't move the needle. This isn't like Boom's Planet of the Apes. You want to read a good licensed book from Boom Studios, read that. Or read Darkwing Duck. That's also awesome. This, I don't know. I don't know what this is. The Jay Lee covers, the Michael Walsh cover. The yeah. Lorenzo de Felici, I don't know him. Or yeah. Diego, those are good covers. Yeah, that, that, that's saving it from being like a .5. Like, it, yeah. it bumps it up to a 1 because... I, I will say I love those covers, but then I looked at the interior art and I'm like, it's not the same as those covers. Uh, I've been Brian Bowling. It's, <laughs> it's not bad though. Like the interior art isn't bad. No, it's not, but it's nothing like the covers. No, no. like the covers are dynamic. Like there's one of like the baby Jessica laying or something like that on the cover. And it's like all in shadows and stuff like that. And yeah. I'm like, Ooh, where's that inside of the comic to Chad's point? Where's that visualization that kind of grabs you and makes you feel like 
this is adding something to this novel or whatever, as opposed to just these are words that were in a book that are now in another book. I don't know. But talking about books called recommendations. And uh, as always, we like to preview other stuff that you can go out to your local comic book shop and pick up. All right. So recommendations. We like to offer up something similar, something recent, something out of left field, <laughs> off the beaten path. And, you know, we've got Mikey Wood, so something with a cherry on top. All right. Well, let's go ahead and start off with Chad. You know, let's let's talk about a book he liked. Yeah, I'm going to go recent. And this is a book I actually discovered uh, during the pandemic when all the world went crazy. And there was a period of time where comics weren't coming out in the comic shops. I, I was walking in and I wanted to support my local shop, as one does. And I saw this really cool cover of a G.I. Joe comic. But it was set up like Time Magazine with Cobra Commander as the person of the year. And it had been a minute since I'd read some G.I. Joe, so I picked it up. I was like, wait a minute, this is really good. And then fortunately, uh, they had the, the rest of the issues for that series, and from then I was hooked. It's now been collected under the name uh, G.I. Joe World on Fire. It was 10 issues plus a special edition issue by Paul Aller, and the art was primarily by Chris Evan Hughes. But basically, the story is about uh, what if Cobra wins? And so from the very outset, Cobra has won, and they've taken over the United States. And G.I. Joe is this uh, splinter group that is dealing with the fallout of that. You know, they're trying to get supplies for people. And it's really interesting. And Aller and Evan Hughes, they get to add some new toys to the G.I. Joe toy box. Uh, they introduced uh, the main character and the readers in is this character named Tiger, who's pretty cool. But um, they also played with, you know, your your old favorites like Scarlet and Roadblock. And what the, the story does is it explored a lot of the trauma that is associated with being part of that G.I. Joe universe. There's even an issue about suicide and there's, you know, Scarlet is, is getting, you know, uh, help dealing with all the things that she's been a part of. And it's really, really emotional. And there's there's an issue where they run the gauntlet and you see all these old your old favorite G.I. Joe's pop up for a little bit. But the, they're making the big sacrifice play. And oh, man. Like, it was time after time in this series. They really tug at the heartstrings. And so I don't want to spoil too much. It's called G.I. Joe World on Fire. It's all collected in one edition. It is very good. Highly recommended. Check it out. There you go. All right. Uh, J.A., you're up next. I guess mine's a little bit out of left field. So I'm going to recommend uh, Divinity by Valiant Comic Books. Uh, you can get the first trade. It came out in 2015. It's available on Comixology Unlimited. You can get it at your local comic book shop. This is the story uh, by Matt Kent and Trevor Harrison about a Cold War Soviet astronaut that was sent into space. Uh, the Soviet Union is determined to win the space race. They send him on this really dangerous mission out past nowhere, right? So he goes out into deep space and is lost. Lose contact with this guy. No one knows what happened to him. And then he turns up in the 21st century, landing in the outback, uh, just missing the X-Men, and <laughs> where his ship has landed suddenly turns into this oasis. So the desert turns green and grass, and he emerges from the space capsule with all these powers. 
So he's encountered something in space. And he can turn people into birds and make the, the birds turn into butterflies and people start uh, flocking to him uh, thinking he's a god. Uh, and the question then is, you know, is he coming to offer his hand in friendship? How will all the other valiant heroes respond to this this new incursion into Earth? Plays a bit with the Soviet era Cold War themes, but also a lot of, you know, what is it to be divine and, and who are we as humans? Obviously, because here's a, a, a man who has been changed and has come back to Earth and will he change Earth or will Earth change him? Uh, just really interesting and really great art. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not surprising that you like this book so much because, to be honest, when this book came out and I was I was watching Valiant at the time, I immediately thought of you because I'm like, oh, gosh, Valiant doesn't have Solar Man of the Atom and they need their God character to tell God stories. So they came up with Divinity. It's pretty much their, their stand in for, for Solar Man of the Atom for, for all intents and purposes. But the other thing that you left out is the fact that he's uh, well, he's black. And and so going into space in, in the fifties as as a, as a black man and and coming back and like you've got also that extra dimension to the whole story which is kind of super neat. So I I definitely agree. If you haven't read Divinity, that's hands down one of the best books to come out of Valiant since their relaunch for sure. Uh, so I'm coming up next, and it's going to be uh, I think a similar book just simply because it deals with space. And it deals with licensed materials. And what does everybody love but a good old-fashioned Star Wars comic book? Yay! And what's better for me as a longtime Star Wars fan and comic book fan than the original Star Wars comic books from the 70s and 80s uh, that I grew up with? If you ask me what were my top three comic books when I was a young lad of four or five years old, first coming into the comic book scene, it was Amazing Spider-Man, it was He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, and it was Star Wars. I read so much Star Wars comic books when I was a little kid. And so to get an epic collection such as the original Marvel Years, Volume 1, which collects basically the first 23 issues of the original Star Wars comic book that Marvel put out is just really wonderful. Not only does it include those first 23 issues, but it also includes uh, a storyline from Pazang. It was like the Marvel magazine at the time. And it was actually the first original story uh, other than the uh, six-issue comic uh, movie adaptation. And all of these stories are primarily written by Archie Goodwin, who's a fantastic writer, and have some terrific art. Like, not only does it include the uh, the original six-issue movie adaptation with Howard Chaikin art, but primarily the rest of the issues are drawn by Carmen Infantino. Plus, it's got a couple issues drawn by Walt Simonson. And I think the best part about these uh, first 23 issues is Darth Vader doesn't show up until issue 21. So for the first 20 issues of this book, it's just like all the other people. It's like, we don't even have Darth Vader. We're not even going to talk about him. We're going to talk about Crimson Jack and, I don't know, uh, Han Solo joining forces with like a Magnificent Seven to save some planet from, I don't know, big monsters or something with a giant space rat. <laughs> what is it? Jackson Jacks? I forgot his yeah. name. Is. Yeah. Everybody hates him, but I love him. I love him to death. 
uh, and and another failed Jedi, Don Don. What what was his name, Mikey? Don Quixote. <laughs> and he carries a lance and wears armor. Like it's not good at all. <sighs> no, it's wonderful. <laughs> Don't listen to Mikey Wood. It is terrific stuff. If you have an opportunity to pick up the Epic Collection again, Volume One. It's got the first twenty-three issues plus this awesome storyline from Pizzazz. It's got like mutant children in it. It's great stuff. It's all before 1979, so it's even before Empire Strikes Back. So it's all like the stuff where they, they didn't know what they were going to do with the, the Star Wars universe at that time. They just were putting out comic books and making money, and this made money. Jim Shooter went on record saying that this Star Wars comic book was the only thing keeping Marvel in the black for several years in the mm. 1970s. Without this That's book, right. they would have gone under. That's right. Jackson. J-A-X-X-O-N. Yeah. Red jumpsuit, green buddy. And I think if he, they finally did make a figure out of him, right? He finally made a six-inch one. Bucky O'Hare is basically Jackson. You know, like, it's a green rabbit in space and stuff. There you yeah. go. G.I. Joe connection with the Larry Hama stuff. But, but my favorite part about those early Star Wars issues was... Some of the characters they were putting in the stories, they didn't know what they looked like. And so you had Jabba the Hutt was a totally different thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Great. Yeah, but it's all Archie Goodwin stuff. It really is. Like, it's all Archie. He's just, he, he was a fantastic writer, and he knew how to write stuff. So, like, I don't know. They, they, they threw, like, three lines, and he's like, ah, oh, come up with something. He's like, okay, fine. I'll, I'll make a robot on tank wheels, and I'll team him with a rabbit. <laughs> I like the Star Wars newspaper strips from that period of time they were really good too is that going to be your recommendation mikey or do no, you have something else for us no it's not uh, <laughs> my recommendation is going to be uh ghostbusters crossing over i mentioned the ghostbusters comics in the beginning of the show and the crossing over miniseries was um it was eight issues and they have it in this fancy trade paperback so and and what it is is it's like in in ghostbusters they have acknowledged multiple realities so, so they've acknowledged that the the lady Ghostbusters are in one dimension, and 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 you know the the real Ghostbusters cartoon is another dimension, and the extreme Ghostbusters is another dimension. So all of the different variants of Ghostbusters actually tie together, and they've crossed over before. But this is a big, massive crossover thing, and it and it has all of the different um, versions all meeting together to to solve the same haunting situation and it, I and thought it, in ghostbusters you're not supposed to cross the streams yeah. you're not <laughs> <having things happen. laughs> no but the ghostbusters thing it's really cool because it has opened the door for for some crossovers that are super fun like the ghostbusters um teenage mutant ninja turtle crossovers those are fun um the one that they did with transformers that i didn't particularly like but you might dig it um but th- this one is a blast, and it's uh, written by that that same team that Eric Burnham with art by Dan Schoenig. And uh, what's cool is that Dan sort of changes his art style to fit the characters that they're drawing. Like the Egon from Real Ghostbusters looks like Real Ghostbusters cartoon and, and things like that. So, so it's fun. It's a lot of fun. I recommend it. And there you go. I will second those Burnham and Schoenig Ghostbusters issues, as I've read a ton of those. And we talked about licensed properties before, how sometimes... Some of them drift into fan service, and some of them are good books. I think Burnham and, and Shoning, they do a great job of capturing the essence of the Ghostbusters characters. Like, if you were a fan of those original movies, they really tickle that itch where they're expanding the universe, but not so much so that they're stepping on the other movies or the other things that have come out as a result. Like, 
they really thread that needle really well. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, the only thing that was well, oh, ever weird to me is how, like, in real Ghostbusters, Egon gets a blonde pompadour, which, like, Harold Ramis yeah. has absolutely nothing like that. In yeah, like, it was like, yeah, issues. they didn't have the rights. Oh, you know, and that's, that's you know, and we've got another Ghostbusters coming out, which will continue with a with a you know a younger generation and things like that. I I personally really dug the Lady Ghostbusters. It got a whole lot of flack because um, male fans <laughs> of things are terrible human beings. Um, <laughs> but, but the movie was was quite fun. Maybe you know not not. But but anyway, uh, I, this I is think, a nice mix of everything. I think it could have used like one or two rewrites. I liked the characters. I thought the actual Ghostbusters characters in that. I thought the the ladies were really good. I thought. They were done a disservice by the script. I don't think the script was was but up that like, far. Yeah, no, those Ghostbusters, and it's not just one straight up series. It's a series of mini series. But uh, that creative team in particular, they've been working on that for you know over a decade now. I feel, and they they put out quality story after quality story that takes what you want and what you love about Ghostbusters, and, and really they have a ton of fun with it. Yeah, and it's great for the Halloween season, right? Yes, right, there, there you go. go. We, we, we always wanted to say one of those creepy crawly books every single week, you know, for, for the month of October. And that's your creepy crawly book. It's a good Ghostbusters book, so go pick that up. And make sure that you tune in next week to more of The Last Comic Shop. And you can do that by rate reviewing and subscribing at www.lastcomicshoppodcast.com. It's a terrific place where you can find all the links to all of our podcast vendors, Apple Podcasts and Google Play and Spotify and iHeartRadio and Amazon Podcasts and Pandora and even YouTube. We're even on YouTube, so make sure that you check us out. And if you like our show, if you like some of the terrific uh, comic books that we've been covering this Halloween season, giving you stuff to read while you're drinking your pumpkin spice, make sure that you leave us a five-star review. Leave us that treat in our basket this year. In our Halloween jack-o'-lantern or thing we got from McDonald's. I still have one of my McDonald's uh, pumpkin. Yeah, the bucket. Yeah, the pumpkin buckets. Those were the best. I have like four of those. And I still well, if you want to see more stuff like that, you can also follow us on social media. You can find all the links at our website at lastcomicshoppodcast.com. But we are on Twitter and Instagram at Last Comic Shop. And we're on Facebook at Last Comic Shop Podcast. And we're just floating around posting things from time to time. Yeah. And also available on our website is a link to our merch store, where this week you can get a still suit. So if you want to drink your own pee, have at it. Mm. <laughs> it's better than keeping it in mason jars, I guess. Just pick a, put a big straw in it. Or but no, you're... we've also got that terrific Last Comic Shop t-shirt specifically for the Halloween season out there on our website right now. Again, it is only going to be available through October 31st. So if you want this limited edition Last Comic, comic Shop t-shirt for your Halloween extravaganza, make sure that you go out to the website today and pick it up. And while we may be the last comic shop podcast, we don't actually want to be the last comic shop. So there are plenty of shops near you, most likely. Uh, you can find them, if you don't know, uh, by going to the comic shop locator, www.comicshoplocator.com, where you might find a place that has things like Dune, the House of Atreides, or you might find G.I. Joe, World on Fire, or Valiant, Divinity, or Ghostbusters crossing over 
or even Star Wars, the original Marble Years Epic Collection. All that and more is potentially waiting for you at your local comic shop. And one thing that you can't get at comic book shops, but we wish you could, is the wonderful works of Mikey Wood. But you can't get the wonderful works of Mikey Wood other places. So, Mikey, where can they find your terrific comic books every single day? Uh, the the two graphic novels that I I, I did uh, produce are available through Amazon uh, print to order. Um, they are called Hate Your Friends, uh, which I did with the incredible Kristen Blank and uh, Pack of Lies, which I wrote and contributed artwork to, as well as many many other uh, local Pittsburgh artists. El Phantasma is on graphite.com. You can read the, the, the whole thing there. And, uh, you know, hopefully as things settle down, I'll be getting back into yeah, silent. Yeah, like the, <laughs> like the Planet of the Apes and the, yeah, Turbo, Robocop. and the Robocops. Judgment to end. I'm working on a, a, an Aliens Planet of the Apes, but it's not as good. Yeah. All right, and that, and that was yeah. all for the last comic shop this week. I was the host with most, Andy Larson. I was joined by Chad Smith, J.A. Scott, and the wonderful Mikey Wood. And until next week, stay safe, stay sheltered, And remember, the drink of choice among all Dune aficionados is mezcal, because it's the only thing that comes with the worm. (laughs) The last comic shop was a 2021 Black Angus production.